I think instead looking at how you're treating your body. I mean, I think today it's more important than ever. If anything, I think if anything good came out of the last two years, it's that more and more people are realizing that what they actually put in their system and how they treat their body really matters. Welcome to The Change, where we share stories and inspiration from servant leaders working to normalize the mental health conversation and increase empathy in the workforce. I'm your host, Adam Baru. It's tough to be a CEO. We face difficult challenges every day and have to navigate our companies through the many obstacles that make our job pretty interesting. For women business leaders, the number and types of challenges are even further amplified. Imagine trying to start a beverage company in an overly saturated market with no industry experience. Imagine seeking advice from established and well-known business leaders only to be dismissed and called sweetie. This is exactly what our guest here today, founder and CEO of Hint Water, Kara Golden, experienced as she grew the idea of providing delicious and healthy drinking water to consumers in an extremely successful business. Kara is undaunted in her desire to offer people a healthier alternative to sweetened beverages and impact people's lives in a healthy way. Hey, Kara, welcome to The Change. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So today I want to focus on how you built a brand that continues to help people lead healthier lives. But first, I'd like to go back and start at the beginning um, in telling the story of Hint. I think it's important to start with your childhood and, and family life. You were the youngest of five children, and you've described how being the youngest of five impacted you. In your book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, you said, if I had a dominant trait as a kid, it was persistence. You have to be persistent when you're the youngest of five. So if you would just tell us about your childhood and how it shaped you into the leader you are today. Yeah, so that's right. I think you you do need to be, if if. You have uh, whether you're an only child or or you have four others ahead of you. I think for for me, I had to, you know, speak up. I definitely had to stick up for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And being the youngest, I felt I always felt a little ripped off because I (laughs) I I felt like you know they always they my brothers and sisters I had two of each and. Mm they always had things like cars and allowances and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they were constantly getting things ahead of me. And I, I actually wanted to be older. I, mm-hmm. I really was, that was probably my biggest frustration as I remember as early as like five, I, I thought like, why do they get to do that? And I don't, <laughs> and all of those um, things along the way. But I think also I was, I was a sponge. I learned, I, mm-hmm. I asked tons of questions. I remember one of the stories I share in the book is about my brother who is 15 years older than me. And, uh, he was super cool. I mean, he's still super, super cool. Mm-hmm. He uh, lives in Scottsdale and, and he used to buy VWs and he'd fix them up and, you know, he had really great tunes. And so I would sit in the garage, uh, you know, this is in the seventies. We had eight mm-hmm. tracks, right? It was even mm-hmm, before yeah. uh, cassettes. And, um, you know, I'd ask him all kinds of questions while I was doing my homework, like, well, why is this VW going to be orange and not, uh, not green? Mm-hmm. You know, and he would explain to me how, you know, he could actually get more money for certain colors. Ah, okay. And, uh, and, you know, all these things along the way, I was constantly asking questions and, and, you know, whenever they would bring friends over, they would warn them that, okay, you, you have to know that my younger sister is going to ask you a million questions. I'd be like, okay, do you have a job? Do you have cars? Do you have, you know, what do you do? Like, mm-hmm. why do you do it? Like, and what do you want to be? What's your favorite subject? Like, I would just sit there and constantly <laughs> pound them. And they would just laugh at me because they would just say, anything else? I'm like, nope, I, I think I got it now. That's um, hilarious. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd also ride my bike around the neighborhood whenever I saw a moving van, I'd stop and I'd, you know, find out if there were any kids because mm-hmm. we had, we had hide and seek teams. We lived in a, an area where there were like orchards. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you want to get to these people before the other team mm-hmm. is going to get 
to them. I mean, that was sort of my goal. But again, I didn't stop with the kids. I, of course, asked these, the poor parents, like, oh, come over to <laughs> my house. You should meet my parents. My mom oh, would man, be like, wait, so what? You're inviting them for dinner? And oh, yeah, it's all good. We'll barbecue. It's fine. You know, it's oh, like, I love it. So I was constantly, you know, that kid. But I think the thing is, is that they were sort of my, my subjects in, in many ways. Like I learned a lot even before, I guess, I needed to about, you know, the importance of asking questions, the importance mm-hmm. of, you know, not actually knowing um, it, something and, you know, being okay with being the least knowledgeable in the room, mm-hmm. right? I think that if you can show your uh, curiosity, I don't think they necessarily looked at it as as persistence. Mm-hmm. They, you know, saw that I was I was constantly wanting to be more and and better. Yeah. And and I think that it, it's something that you know I share with my kids. It's like you, you know, you ask adults about you have this opportunity, this window when you're younger, and you don't have any experience where you can just go and ask them a million questions and, and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll answer them most of the time. And you can learn a lot about like, what do you like about your job? What don't you Mm -hmm. like about your job? You know, how do you, how do you like running a public company? How do Mm -hmm. you, you know, all of these things. And, uh, so that was me definitely as a kid. So this leads to now it's 1985 and you're, I I believe 1985, you were graduating from Arizona state university and you were kind of figuring out you know, where you were going to land for, for work. And you turned to some of those relationships, um, from the TP restaurant and, uh, had some interviews lined up, um, you know, I think on the West coast. And then, um, I want to also add in too, that you were super like, um, motivated to want to get a job at fortune magazine. You, you had loved that magazine and you really were motivated to try to get a job there and, um, how you had written a letter to, um, Marshall Loeb, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just kind of asking, you know, being explicit, like just putting it out there, asking, you know, how, what it takes to get a job there and how, so then you, you had a trip where, um, you know, you made some trips to interview and, uh, you booked, you know, to go out to New York as well, which is where fortune was located, I believe in the time life building and how you just kind of walked in, um, Cause he had sent a response to you just encouraging mm-hmm. you to, Hey, if you're ever in New York, you should try to arrange for an interview and how you just, you know, went into the time life building and up into fortune and, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what that was like for you just kind of internally, um, just going in there and, and asking for the interview. Yeah. Well, this is before security in the building. You used to be able to walk into buildings <laughs> right. and, uh, and, find the HR department. And so I, that's what I did. I went into the HR department and asked, you know, I brought the letter with me that Marshall had written. And, mm-hmm. uh, when I got into the office, the poor receptionist was, uh, I said, hi, I'm here to see Marshall Loeb. And she said, you have an appointment? And I said, I have a letter. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't, you know, directly answer her question, but I, I told her instead, you know, I guess why I felt like I could be here. And, uh, she said, she read the letter and she said, uh, so I'm confused. Do you have an appointment? And I said, uh, no, I just have the letter, but he, as you can see, he said, if you're ever in the New York area. And so I came out here, so she didn't know what to do with me. And so called the head of HR (laughs) and said, you know, can you, deal with this crazy woman. And, uh, and the head of HR came out and said, uh, so I think what he meant is, well, I don't know what he meant, but he is not going to see you. And he's also, you don't have any experience. There's no way that he would hire you into fortune magazine with no experience. And I didn't plan on, I thought that there was a possibility that he wasn't going to see me, but I didn't plan on saying the next thing that I did say, which was, are there any other jobs Mm -hmm. in the building? And so the timing of this probably coincided with uh, her hearing from one of the other magazine groups that they really needed to find an executive assistant. 
And so it, there was a group inside of time that it's called circulation. I didn't mm-hmm. even know what circulation was at the time. Uh, but I thought, okay, I'll be working in the building and eventually I'll find Marshall Loeb and he'll be thrilled to meet me. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so I met with this woman, Brooke McMurray and Brooke, uh, you know, said, how did you get here? And I, I said, you mean like, did I drive or did I fly? <laughs> I flew and, uh, I wrote this letter here. I've got a copy of the letter and I showed her the letter and she's just like, this is hysterical. I mean, this is, this is so funny and I can't even believe you're here. I mean, imagine you today interviewing somebody like this is you're just like, you just want to help them, right? Because they're so authentic about, Mm -hmm. you know, the experience. And I figured what's the worst that can happen? I mean, if nothing else, I have this unbelievable story where I go back and I say, well, okay, I was in New York and then I walked into the building and then they kicked me out. And the, the, the worst usually doesn't happen, by the way, mm-hmm. ever, right? You have to actually put yourself out there and, uh, and, you know, make your own journey, find your experiences, all of those things. But that was, yeah, so Brooke ended up, I had a pretty good feeling at the end of uh, this interview. I had been on a journey, I had over 90 interviews over the course of that month in a bunch mm-hmm. of states that uh, anyone who ran into me, uh, including friends of my brother, I'd say, oh, where do you work? Oh, okay. Can you find me a job at your company? What do mm-hmm. you guys do? You know, I mean, I was doing everything from interviewing at consulting firms to um, to a vacuum cleaner company to a beer company. I mean, I just was so wide open. Yeah. And if nothing else, it was, I mean, it was an incredible experience where I was able to learn about what people did every day and, you know, how happy they were. I learned about culture, all of those Mm -hmm. kind of things, but I ended up getting pretty good at interviewing after 90 interviews in 30 days. And then my boss, um, my future boss then gave me a job offer and I thought, cool, I'm going to New York. Like I was super thrilled. I was the only one of my friends that ended up, uh, Going, not only going to New York, but also just figuring out, you know, I was just going to go find my way. Fortune magazine mm-hmm. was not interviewing on campus at Arizona State University. And so I just thought, you know, if I want to go, if that's where I want to be, then what's wrong with sending him a letter? And I right. still would probably do the exact same thing today. And I think so many people wait for opportunities to come to them. <laughs> um, you know, maybe today you go and look on, you know, whatever monster or uh, LinkedIn. And if those jobs aren't there or if a company doesn't post the job, then you just assume there aren't any, but you know, you're a CEO of a company, right? You it's, it's all about the people. You find people who are hungry, who make you laugh, who you think, you know, I can teach them some things. It's just, you, can you, can you find people who are curious, who are obviously yes. smart, who are, you know, you can teach the rest of that. Exactly. Stuff. But I think they, if they can see your, um, you know, your persistence, mm-hmm. your, um, your desire to learn, the, those are the things that I think are really still to this day, super valuable. Absolutely. Um, it- it's such an important skill set. And one other comment I wanted to make is, you know, emotional courage comes into play in, in a real significant way here. And I've known a lot of people and I, I've definitely been there myself where I just felt that I wanted to do something different, mm-hmm. but I felt like I had to achieve all of these things or achieve all of this level of knowledge, you know, before I could embark on this kind of new scary thing. And, uh, you know, it really just takes that emotional courage and just, you know, taking that first step. You don't have to have all the answers. Um, it's, it's really, and, and, you know, once we kind of start exploring how you build hint, it really, again, it will demonstrate how you just got to really take that first step and, and build something that you envision in your mind, right. Or go after something that you really want to go after. So I want to stay with time here in your experience there a little bit. Um, you know, as you wrote about it, 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 you wrote about it being kind of a very, you know, fond time in your experience, um, good company. You were able to build long-term relationships with your customers and you really liked that. 
but you didn't have an MBA and you weren't, you were told quite explicitly that there really wasn't going to be much advancement opportunities for you because yeah, you didn't have the MBA, but also, um, you, you would need an MBA from an Ivy league school. So, um, you know, tell us about this part of your journey and some of the lessons you learned with that experience. Yeah, well, it it was clear to me in the first couple of weeks when I got this, uh, you know, exciting job at at Time Magazine that I was a little bit fish out of water. I had never really thought about it in uh, when I was in Arizona and when I went to Arizona State University. I mean, it was again for me, super middle class family. Um, dad who had, you know, lost his job for, you know, a year and a half, didn't have income, was, uh, you know, state school seemed fine. And, uh, and it was a great experience. And, but when I got to time, everybody was asking me where I'd gone to school and I answered ASU and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, everybody wanted to know, what does your dad do? And I'd say, well, he works at ConAgra. And, you know, and, or I didn't say, oh, he founded Healthy Choice. And I mean, they wanted to see if he was somebody maybe inside of Time Inc. or connections somehow. People were very on to that. I was mm-hmm. not on to that. And mm-hmm. so what I realized is that I could be upset by this because it was upsetting to me. I'm 21 years old. I want to, I'm social, like I want to get along with people, but they were very much trying to figure out, okay, she didn't go to Yale. She doesn't have an MBA. There was, you know, a lot of that going on. And I thought, okay, I can let that upset me. And uh, then I'm going to be focused on that and not my job. Or I can focus on what I can control, which was me. And Mm -hmm. so I sat there and just put everything into my work. Uh, did a great job for my boss. And uh, and after a while, I mean, I, I would have these conversations with my boss about it. We got to be pretty good friends. And, you know, she said, look, un- unless you actually go and, and get an MBA, I mean, at, our, at this company, she had been there for many, many years. She said it's, you know, her opinion that it probably is going to hold me back. And mm-hmm. so when I got a recruiter called me for this role at CNN. It's interesting because first of all, I, I thought maybe I, if I want to move up, I need to actually get out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like time was a terrible experience, but I thought it's probably the best thing for me to do unless I do want to go and, and get my MBA. But it was interesting because for CNN at the time was in 40% of households in the U S mm-hmm. it was like 12% internationally. It definitely was, you know, the underdog as compared to ABC news and NBC news. Ted mm-hmm. Turner was still running around the office. Um, actually I laughed because the first time I saw him, he was wearing a suit and cowboy boots. And I thought, <laughs> I like even in Scottsdale, I don't see people wearing cowboy boots in a suit. And, uh, you know, I thought it was funny. I, I think that interestingly, um, I learned, I learned a lot at time, but I also learned a lot at CNN. CNN was really my first, um, kind of startup. It's, it's interesting how time has changed. It doesn't, it didn't have that cachet. You didn't mm-hmm. want to be known as a startup back mm-hmm. then. It was like, you know, Ted was running around saying, you know, we're, we're the leader. And yet CNN wasn't even measured at that. We were like, right. wait, how can you say that you're the leader? <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, we're having a tough time selling advertising, all, all of these things, um, all of these experiences. But it's something that I, like, not only culturally was it so different because Ted couldn't care less if you had an MBA. Um, mm-hmm. I always say, like, that stuff really starts at the top, um, mm-hmm. you know what people care about or what they don't care about. Um, But also watching a founder CEO kind of put stakes in the ground around, you know, here's the brand. We're going to, we're going to get news throughout the world and there will be one feed, maybe two feeds, but people are going to, people need to see the news that's happening in other parts of the world in order Mm -hmm. for them to be informed. And Ted would say that over and over and over again. 
And some days we believed that he would make it happen. Other days we just thought he was crazy, right? And that he was the visionary <laughs> founder. But when when we started to make progress, it started to be more and more believable. So mm-hmm. it was kind of my first experience in working for a visionary entrepreneur. I never even really thought um, when I was starting Hint that it was, uh, you know, I was starting a company. I mean, I remember right. I would, friends of mine, when I got the first bottles on the shelf at Whole Foods, friends would say to me, you know, it's so cool that you're starting a company. And I, I was like, wait, who are you talking to? I mean, it's, you know. Because <laughs> you were kind of thinking local or. Well, I just, I thought I just got it on the shelf at Whole Foods and, you know, best case scenario, I'm restocking the product at my local Whole Foods. But I mm-hmm. just, I never really thought about it as a company. I mean, I, I guess, I think sometimes if you think too much about the end, you'll never get past the beginning. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of how I've always thought about even, uh, you know, people would say back in the job working in a toy store, they'd say, you're, you're going to a buying fair. I mean, that's a big deal. Like if you allow Mm -hmm. yourself to think too much about that, uh, right. All of the big stuff that the, the things that seem really scary, you'll never actually do what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I mean, it leads into like imposter syndrome, imposterism, whatever, however you define that word. I mean, I, I've definitely been there and so I can relate to it. It's, um, it won't get you to the end, just like you say, but I want to kind of start, I want to stay at the beginning of hint. Um, so we're back here in about 1996. Um, you were working at AOL, you were traveling a ton, you were working long hours, Um, and it was during this period that you increased your diet Coke habit. I think you were, uh, mentioned you were drinking about 10 to uh, 12 cans a day. You called it an addiction and went on to describe, there's no question that the addiction that took hold in those days is what eventually led to the creation of hint water years later. So tell us more about this time in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a little later. It was 2000. You know, 2001, when I ultimately left America Online, and I was uh, traveling like crazy, had a house in San Francisco, uh, was married, um, had never saw my husband, but somehow managed to have a couple of kids. And I thought, uh, you know, the United Airlines pilot sees me every Monday. I was on, Mm -hmm. if I wasn't traveling, going to my uh, customers, I was going back to DC to the America online headquarters. And I thought, you know, I've been here for seven years. It's a uh, billion dollars in revenue to AOL. Maybe I should take a break. And I didn't at that point even think that I was going to go start my own company or I think I really thought that I was a tech executive and I would mm-hmm. find something in Silicon Valley at, at one of the companies that was uh, around me that I knew of. But I, I wanted to take a break for a couple of years and really spend time with my young kids and, mm-hmm. you know, go to mommy and me classes and sure. do all of that kind of stuff. And it was during that time when I wasn't focused on what I was going to do next that I started to think about everything that I saw that I thought should be changed. I thought should be different in some way. And my first stop was really what I was putting into my kids' bodies. I remember being horrified at, I was supplementing, um, you know, had breast milk initially, and then I was supplementing with formula. And I was horrified at how many ingredients were in the formula. Some Mm -hmm. of them smelled sort of funky. And I just Mm -hmm. thought, what's in this? Like, what am I giving my kids? And I was shocked by the level of sugar and mm, in, in the product, but I was also shocked by all these other ingredients. And it was, that was sort of the first stop. And then I remember going to my pediatrician and hearing that, you know, after breast milk or formula, you upgrade to apple juice. Mm. And I thought, well, the kids that are at the park that are drinking apple juice all day long, you don't really want to play with them for very long, right? <laughs> like they're, they're off they're the wall. Right? Yeah. And, 
And so I tried to figure out ways to get my kids not to be addicted to sweet. Right. And so, you know, I would water down their apple juice. They didn't like that so much. So then I would try and figure out ways to, you know, put water in their bottle and I would, you know, slice up fruit and let it sit in there for a while. I was doing everything just to kind of maybe entertain myself to some extent Mm -hmm. on trying to figure out if like what would work. Um, And it wasn't until one day I looked down at my Diet Coke that I really started thinking that I was a hypocrite, that here I was trying to do better for my family and I was, you know, not doing so great for myself. And I was Mm. drinking, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 on an average day, not always can sometimes there was at America online, they had nice fountain sodas and Mm -hmm. I would fill up, I wouldn't always drink it. You know, I'd leave it in the car or whatever, but it was, um, it was really the, uh, it it was this epiphany around ingredients, um, end of 2004 that really led me to say, I need to do better for myself, that Mm -hmm. it's not very useful for me to, have healthy kids if I'm not healthy myself. And that's when, you know, I decided I'm not going to drink Diet Coke anymore. And I'm going to just go cold turkey and not drink it. And uh, little did I know um, that that would end up uh, helping me to understand uh, that I should be developing a company. Right. Um, I think you had explained you were having some health issues too at the time. Uh, after I believe it was the birth of your third child, you had a hard time um, losing that weight that you would gain during pregnancy. You had some skin issues, adult acne, and um, as soon as you gave up the diet coke, I mean, two and a half weeks later, you had lost twenty pounds and your skin cleared up. So I, you know, what was this revelation like? Seeing how a simple choice of what you were drinking and putting into your body could lead to really looking and feeling better. Well, I think it really speaks to who we are as consumers today that, you know, people talk about fake news today. I mean, I think marketing to consumers is for, for years has really sort of played into um, this to, to some extent, because I really believed the diet was healthy mm-hmm. and, and I, I think for me, I never questioned it. I thought there there are, you know, large organizations that are watching this for me. And here I am, a, you know, smart uh, business person. And I, I believed, I believed for years. I started drinking Diet Coke in the early days of Diet Coke um, back when I was in high school. And I remember... Uh, being marketed to my my mom was a tab drinker and of course I wasn't going to drink what my mom had been drinking no high schooler would do that right so I (laughs) I remember hearing about diet coke and diet coke was better for you than full sugar and didn't have sort of that different aftertaste that tab had and so I started drinking it and uh, you know I just thought I can drink of as much as I want and I didn't really like water I like I said, did a lot of sports. I should have been drinking water, but instead I substituted it for my Diet Coke once I found that and thought, okay, well, most of it is water. Never thought that there's other things like the way that, you know, it interacts with your body really can, you know, vary and vary over time as you age too. And so I think by the time I was, I guess, you know, a few years out of college and, and, uh, starting to have kids when I had gained a good amount of baby weight, I never really thought about what I was putting into my body as Mm -hmm. the problem and certainly didn't think I wasn't having 10 cupcakes a day. I mean, I was like, you know, eating normally except for this diet soda. And so when I finally decided just to give it up and start drinking plain water, uh, I mean, it was a chore for me to drink plain water. And, but after two and a half weeks and losing 20 pounds, I thought, oh my gosh, like I'm never going back to drinking diet mm-hmm. soda. But the biggest problem for me was the taste. It was just so darn boring. So that was, you know, when I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in the water and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 
thinking, okay, this isn't so bad. Uh, and, you know, still didn't think that I could actually go start a company. I actually tried to find a place that had a product like this. I even went so far as to call uh, Coke customer service and tell them that uh, they should have this product um, right. that I used to be a huge consumer of one of their drinks. And now I had left and, and uh, you know, I thought someone would probably be interested in that fact, but uh, the person on customer service really wasn't. And, and uh, you know, wanted to get off the phone with me as fast as possible, oh, I sure. guess. Well, I think it says, you know, a lot about this, this theme for you is, um, you know, the curiosity and just asking questions and, you know, not being afraid to pick up the phone and just make a phone call. I think you even described that as being, uh, the best way to just really get things done. Um, you know, picking up the phone, it's kind of, you know, here in, in 2022, it, it feels like kind of like an old school way of doing things. Totally. Yeah, no. And I think that that's, that that's right. I mean, I just, I mean, sometimes you're not going to get the answer that you want, or, you know, sometimes they'll hang up the phone on you. I mean, sometimes they'll, you'll, uh, you know, gauge whether or not they're interested or not. But I figured, you know, what, what do I have to lose? And I think I always felt like there would always be a story there. And, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere along the way that, I don't know, I could humor my friends with saying, okay, get this. I gave up the diet soda and then I decided to call the, call Coca-Cola on the phone. And I don't know, I don't know about your friends, but my friends would be entertained by this, that they would think it was funny. Why did you, how did you get the phone number? I'm like, right. oh, it's so easy. You just go, you know, I mean, this is really before the internet was. Uh, yeah. What do you do? You just go to the phone book? Or it's like, how well, do you, do you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. So my husband was, was uh, an attorney and he uh, had access to, you know, Nexus Lexus mm, yeah. um, to research cases. And what I realized is that, I mean, it was sort of as good as Google in many ways. Like I would go in and start to, you know, look things up. I mean, that when I moved to Silicon Valley, that was how I ultimately found the little startup that I went to work for uh, because, you know, they had filings um, for uh, to, you know, incorporate their company. And mm -hmm. then I would see that, you know, Apple was a shareholder and I would be able to see all of this information. And, and so I think I was always, you know, good at sort of jumping in and, and I could spend hours on, you know, the, on the Nexus Lexus service, especially when he wasn't around, I could go <laughs> into his account and go check out these different, you know, companies. But I felt like, uh, you know, I'd come up with questions too for the search. I mean, it was sort of the, the early days, I think of, of, you know, what Google ultimately became was, was what we were dealing with. Yeah. All right. So, um, so fast forward a little bit, or, or I guess keeping along the lines of, of kind of how Hint finally got on the shelf. So you were shopping at, at Whole Foods as a customer and, and asking, you know, if they had, you know, fresh drinking water that was, you know, flavored without sweeteners. Um, and, and you asked if they had anything in stock like that. And then I think you followed up with, uh, saying, you know, if I built a product, would you guys put it on the shelf? Um, so, you know, talking about, you know, being undaunted, just that kind of forward thinking that, uh, um, I guess drive to just with your curiosity, like, Hmm, like maybe, maybe I'll build this. So, so bring us there, bring us to the creation of Hint and getting those, you know, those first bottles, you know, manufactured and put on the shelf because another kind of really, when I read your book, I thought it was kind of like a funny part of the, this whole story was you, you know, in, in this time then when you first got the idea to create a company, a beverage company, you unexpectedly became pregnant with your fourth child um, and you had already been working on kind of the concept, but, uh, if I read your book correctly, you, you hadn't really shared that with your husband yet. And so you had to kind of drop a couple of juicy nuggets of information on him yep. at the same time. So, so bring us, bring us through that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, a few different points there, but just, you know, let me set up the situation. When I went to Whole Foods, you know, they had opened in the Bay area 
for me, the visual of Whole Foods was so much different than, you know, these other stores, these conventional grocery stores or big box grocery stores that had been out there. And I just thought it was, you know, I wanted to eat everything in the store because it was just so beautifully presented and fresh. And it just seemed like the exact kind of place that would have a product that like what I had been making in my kitchen. And when I asked the, you know, the guy stocking the shelf, I said, how do I get a product on the shelf? Again, be willing to ask questions, but I I think he misunderstood what I, maybe other people walked into the store and asked him the same question. I don't know, but he said, do you mean the local program? And like, how do you get a product into the local program? And I said, yeah, the local program. And Mm -hmm. he said, uh, and I said, what are, you know, the qualifications to be part of the local program. Well, you have to produce locally. I'm thinking I'm producing in my kitchen. So that's local. And he said, you need a um, UPC number and, you know, you need a shelf life and all these things that seemed hard, but not impossible. And, uh, and, you know, I was off to the races. So now I had a list of things. And if I could achieve, uh, those things on the list, then I could get my product to be affiliated with this beautiful store. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be really awesome. And then, you know, my entire time that I had taken off from tech wouldn't be that wasted because I could go and learn about this new industry. Right. And so I think that it was, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to think back on it because I fully thought of myself as a tech executive. I never thought about changing industries, but mm-hmm. when I stumbled upon, you know, this, this epiphany of, of sort of an industry that was really in need of innovation, I think having grown up in tech, my curiosity, my ability to solve problems, my, um, you know, the the having a clean slate where no one else was doing this that I could find, I thought, what's the worst that can happen? I could fail. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the thinking in tech so much of the time. Right. I also felt like I was in a position where I was managing a couple hundred people inside of this company that had significantly grown, significantly changed. I was traveling a ton, all of the stuff that I thought, okay, maybe what I should be doing is actually going back down to the bottom again. Because if I go back down to the bottom in another industry, then I can be a student and I don't need to be teaching as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people have sort of dissected that piece of it because I think a lot of people fear doing that. They don't want to go back down, you know, right to the bottom and go learn. And starting over, yeah. But I think for me, I really needed to do that. I'm not saying it's great for everybody to go do that, but I think for me, it just satisfied my curiosity because it was an industry that I really knew nothing about. So that was the beginning. Um, and, you know, I had sketched out a quick business plan, um, had thought, okay, I'm going to go get this product into Whole Foods. I hadn't even decided, okay, it's going to be national. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. it was not, it was a really bare bones, you know, business plan. And that's when I sat down with my husband because I found out after calling around to a bunch of bottlers that I actually needed some upfront money to produce our first run. And um, you have to understand that when you don't have experience and you're calling a bunch of bottlers, uh, you know, you're NetSuite and, you know, you call up. I mean, half the people don't know what NetSuite is. The other half are like, wait, you're definitely not in my industry. And so, like, you're wasting my time. This is never going to happen. Whatever they're thinking and so it didn't matter what my title was from America Online. They kind of knew what America Online was. Most people did, but they knew that it was irrelevant because, or they viewed mm-hmm. it as irrelevant. Um, so that was the that was the moment when I just thought, 
I just need one. I just need one bottler to say yes so I can test mm-hmm. the concept and know enough about this industry. I don't want to, you know, be the next Coca-Cola or vitamin right. water. I just want to produce a little bit of product in San Francisco and get it in the stores. But I was taking $50,000 ultimately out of our bank account. And I thought my husband's going to think like I'm going to the Bahamas with a bunch of girlfriends or something. <laughs> sure. I should probably tell them that I'm going to go do it. <laughs> and it's interesting because people said, like, did he have a problem with? And, I mean, I had made money, so he wasn't sort of arguing about it. But he was very clear in that moment when I actually shared with him that I was going to go and and uh, try and launch this product that he didn't think it was a great idea. And the first thing uh, that I shared with him was, well, he asked me, what is the name of this company? And I said, mm-hmm. oh, it's it's called Wawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, don't call it Wawa. <laughs> and he grew up in New York. And I'm glad you didn't call it Wawa. Yeah, by the way. And he was just like, no, it's like that you you and a couple of your friends call, you know, you're trying to get the kids to drink more water. So you call it Wawa. But that is just not something that you should call it. And there's also this chain of convenience stores in Pennsylvania that is called Wawa. So if you're really successful, it's, uh, you know, they'll sue you. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll shut the company down. I mean, all of these, again, he's a lawyer. So he thinks like that. Mm-hmm. And so he was not my favorite person on that day. Cause I <laughs> thought I had it all figured out. And so that's when I, I, started thinking more about other names and he you know said just keep throwing names out at at me and that's when I finally said hint I said actually it's perfect and he said no it's not perfect it's a four-letter word you'll never get it trademarked you'll um you know it's very descriptive all of these things and I said I'm the business person you're the lawyer just file it. Who cares? Like maybe it's not going to work and maybe it gets rejected. At least, Mm -hmm. you know, we have something and we'll keep thinking about it. And by the way, also uh, try and trademark drink water, not sugar. He started laughing. He's like, oh, come on. Like you're never going to get that trademarked. Mm -hmm. P.S. We have hint trademark globally. We have drink water, not sugar trademark globally. And, um, and that's when I decided it was probably a good idea in the same conversation, since he wasn't my favorite person at the moment, to tell him that I was pregnant with our fourth. And so the timeline was going to be six months so I could take a little break mm-hmm. um, once I got it on the shelf. And he right. just, he walked out of the room. I wasn't sure if he was coming back because he was, uh, he was definitely shocked and, uh, you know, that, I was deciding to go into a totally different industry. Um, you know, I thought it seemed totally reasonable that I wasn't going to go and get a job and, you know, a big job in tech because I was pregnant. So like, mm-hmm. why would I go and take on a whole new career and, and uh, have to get out of there for maternity leave and all of these things. But it was, um, you know, it was definitely uh, at, at the time, it probably wasn't a funny story, but, over time, it became, you know, it, it became funnier to, uh, to to many people who many of our friends who heard the story. And so I also recall reading how, you know, you, you had a goal to launch the product before the birth of your your fourth child now. And you had a planned C-section. And, you know, when it came down to getting the product and ready to put it on the shelf, it was, you know, the day of your planned C-section is when you literally drove it out to that whole foods and, you know, gave it to, um, you know, the manager there or whoever. And, uh, just like, Hey, I, this was my goal. My goal was to get it launched before my fourth kid. And now I'm going to go have my, my plan C section. So I, I thought that was, uh, kind of telling of just who you are, just the, the drive, that feeling of being undaunted by, you know, whatever's in your path. Yeah. Well, it, the, the cases were actually, uh, in, one of, I had a two car garage in San Francisco. It felt pretty lucky, but there's like street cleaning every two hours. And as I'm going into uh, the hospital, I thought, you know, there, I have two cars and it's, uh, it's going to be inconvenient for my nanny while I'm in the hospital to have to deal with, you know, jockeying one of the cars around San Francisco. 
uh, because there's a bunch of cases in one of our parking mm-hmm. spaces in the garage. So I thought if I can try and get rid of these cases, I was a very, you know, it was a very logical decision um, to me to actually go into Whole Foods that morning. Little did I know that, you know, it would be something that uh, we actually, I talked to the guy who told me about the local program and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, he didn't know what a planned C-section was. And he, <laughs> first thing he said to me, he was like, wow, you're super pregnant. And I said, yeah, no, I am. And he said, are you going to have a baby in the store? And I'm like, gosh, I hope not. I'm, I'm supposed to be at the hospital in a few hours, but that's why I wanted to come and talk to you. And, you know, it's also a story of, I think people buy from people they like, mm-hmm. right? They, they like the story. And so, you know, just taking the time to actually, you know, as my husband said, tell them where babies come from, but actually say what a planned C-section <laughs> is. I, you know, the, he, he liked me. He thought it was hysterical that I was like trying to get a product on the shelf and I was going to go have a baby and then, you know, I'll be off for a couple of days and then we'll connect. Uh, well, he didn't actually give me a couple of days because the product sold and he called me in the hospital and said, Hey, I, I'm sorry to bother you, but the product's gone. And I said, who took it? Like, I was like, mm-hmm. those mean soda people. They, they <laughs> like probably threw it in the garbage. And he said, no, I sold it, but I'm going to get in a lot of trouble with my boss if you don't have more cases. Mm. And so is there anybody that can come and deliver? So that's when my husband jumped in and said, Oh, I'll, I'll bring some over to you right away. And, and, um, uh, but, you know, lots of lessons involved in, in that as well, where, you know, we truly did not, I say we, because that was the moment where, um, you know, my husband just wanted to help. Like here I was delivering a baby and getting the product into Whole Foods. It was like, I cannot even believe you're doing this right now, but it's, it's semi funny, but it's also concerning, mm-hmm. you know, because now you're <laughs> going to put another $50,000 down to go and create some more cases. and. So he really, I think, wanted to watch where this thing was going, but he also believed in the mission of, of health and how, you know, I really believed that there were a lot of other people who had been fooled like I had been by words. I had been fooled by the word diet. Mm-hmm. I started looking at some of my friends who drank this drink called vitamin water that was, you know, the hottest thing on the market. Mm-hmm. and. I thought, you know, there's there's a world of healthy perception versus healthy reality out there that, you know, it's it shouldn't be that way. And yeah. I thought if you can actually produce a product that is, you know, pretty minimal, that is using real stuff, that doesn't have sweeteners in it, that doesn't have preservatives in it, then that will actually help people to drink water instead of these other drinks. and they'll get healthy. Yeah. And I also had been looking at the, you know, the diet industry as a whole. I'd never really dieted, but I, I had many friends who had dieted and I thought, you know, people are counting calories. People are, um, they spend a lot of money, not just in the diet soda industry, but also in these different diets. And I thought maybe they're not really working. For a Mm -hmm. lot of people because they, you know, they can't stick to a plan. And instead I had seen in my own life how I had gotten healthy just by giving up the diet soda, something that I thought was healthy. And I thought if I could bring that to more people, that understanding just by creating a great product and helping them drink water, I felt like that would be so personally fulfilling. Absolutely. So that was key early on for me too, that it wasn't, wasn't like I hated tech and that I couldn't wait to leave or, you know, there wasn't some big bad story over there. It, for me, it was really about having a, finding a mission, finding a purpose for doing something that kept pulling me. Yes. Which still to this day, you know, I believe. So, um, I definitely want to encourage people if they want to, you know, hear more about the story to read Undaunted. I mean, I, I think the journey definitely, um, 
you were met with a lot of obstacles. You guys had to creatively get through them, like uh, how you originally started with a cold fill method and you guys, um, you know, had, had found a, like a cloudy substance um, in the bottle one day and discovered it was mold spores and having to work through that. You know, you were not interested in a hot fill method, which would have killed, you know, all the organisms and, and produced a longer shelf life because you were really just encouraged and motivated by the the flavor and, and the purity of, of the product. Um, and then, you know, eventually launching into Starbucks in 2010. Um, originally, I think that was planned out for a smaller launch, 100 stores or something like that. But uh, very quickly, you guys were in all at the time, 67 hundred Starbucks locations. So um, definitely want to kind of like put it, put the brakes on the story a little bit. And, and again, encourage people to read Undaunted. I'd like to shift gears a little bit. And as you were just talking about your mission, I'd like to stay there for a little bit because that to me is, you know, I think the important part of this story. So I'd like to, I'd like to stay here by reading a few quotes um, and then get your perspective on them. So I'm just going to be reading here from the book. I've never really enjoyed drinking water, but now I do. I have more energy now. I feel much healthier. My skin has cleared up, just like yours did. I know Hint didn't change my life. I did. But you helped me take that one difficult first step, and that means the world to me. You've heard from diabetics, cancer patients, and people who've had gastric bypass surgery. Hint is a godsend for me. And then quoting you, Parents tell me they hadn't realized how much sugar their kids were consuming, and that Hint has made it possible for their families to lead healthier lives. Others tell me that Hint has been a key part of their lifestyle changes, including their ability to lose weight. Cancer patients tell me Hint helps mask the metallic taste from chemo treatments, while other patients say that it helps them control their type 2 diabetes. While we don't make healthy claims, or health claims, for Hint other than it's water that tastes good, Consumers are telling us about positive changes in their lives that Hint has helped them make. So I, I think, you know, especially this last quote, it, it perfectly demonstrates, um, you know, why I want to explore this topic further with you. You related, you know, how the product, it, it really, it's just water that tastes good, right? Mm -hmm. Yet Hint has clearly had a profound effect on people. So I'd like to start by, you know, getting your thoughts on what, what do you think's behind this? I mean, people could make the same healthy choice by simply choosing to drink filtered water and cutting out sweetened drinks. But why do you think that Hint has had this type of impact? Well, I think, first of all, you know, the story, um, you know, a lot of people have said, did you did you think about, you know, telling your story early on? No, I mean, I, I learned early on that I was not only just launching a you know, product to get it on the shelf, but in a company, but also uh, realizing that we were launching an entirely new category because we couldn't get on the shelves of mm -hmm. outside of, you know, specialty grocery stores like Whole Foods. Um, there were these things called planograms. And again, not having come from the uh, beverage industry or the food industry, I, you know, I, I, knew a little bit about planograms because my dad with Healthy Choice sort of had played in the planogram of the frozen case, but I'd never really thought about who else was in the planogram, right? Outside of, uh, you know, for him at ConAgra, he was kind of negotiating internally with other uh, product managers to get space inside of the frozen case. But, you know, when you're launching your own company and a brand new category and the the real estate isn't there. Um, I had to figure out how do I get them them the buyers to understand that this is something that should be in the planogram. And so when I started hearing from consumers early on that Hint was helping them, uh, you know, change their life by helping them drink um, better tasting water without sweeteners and without preservatives in it. I started to try and really understand who this consumer was. I mean, starting with one of the first emails we got from a consumer was somebody who had uh, just gotten diagnosed with something called type 2 diabetes. And, you mm -hmm. know, I went on, he had emailed us. I reached out to him and asked him about type 2 diabetes because I had only heard about type 1 diabetes before. I knew that you were 
you know, born with diabetes and that that was something that, um, you know, you definitely couldn't have a Coke, right? Maybe you could have had a diet. I never really knew that much about it. So when he told me that he was a marathon runner and that he was pretty healthy and had been, you know, drinking a lot of diet soda and what he figured out was that he still was getting insulin spikes mm. after, you know, drinking diet sweeteners. I was fascinated by it and I wanted to learn more information. So I asked him, you know, who was it that diagnosed you? Again, going back to my questions, mm-hmm. um, you know, just curious. And he would say an endocrinologist. And so then I, you know, reach out to an endocrinologist. Sometimes I found just like making an appointment with endocrinologist. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I get charged for an office visit. I mean, it was just, I, I sat there and just kind of tried to live like my consumer and tried to really understand more and more while I was waiting for the shelf space to open up. And then mm-hmm. I would start to think about, well, what else do these people do? Do What else do they eat? Where do they have, do they go to, you know, runs? Do they go and do certain types of exercises? Whatever it was where I could find more of those people that looked like him, mm. you know, that that was kind of my mindset. And what I realized along the way was that I was sampling the product, right? I would, I would go to these fun runs and I would hand out water. I would get, um, you know, friends of mine from America Online to come and join me for the weekend just because they liked me, right? And mm-hmm. they would help hand out bottles and we would hear people's reactions. And for us, it was just about getting more information from people. Little did we know that was kind of the beginning of these people um, kind of, you know, creating this poll strategy for us because they would go into stores and they would request the product right. and request the flavors. And so, and then ultimately, I mean, a, a major point for us was about a year into the brand when I was really hitting a wall. I wasn't sure exactly whether or not, you know, I was going to be able to figure a lot of things out, distribution, mm-hmm. how to make the product. And um, was really challenged by this, you know, point in the timeline. And that's when I was interviewing for a role at Google and, um, you know, knew some people at Google. My husband had been at, at Netscape and mm-hmm. I knew some people from AOL who had gone inside of Google as well. And uh, this guy, Omid Cortesani, um, was interviewing me and and said, hey, if, you know, you should definitely come and join us. And he had no idea that I had been working on this beverage. And and that's when, you know, I decided to tell him that, you know, I hadn't been just doing nothing for the last few years. I had mm-hmm. actually been focusing on this drink. And, and uh, he was fascinated. He was like asking me all the questions that people still ask me today, like, how did you have the courage to go do this? And mm-hmm. where did you start? You know, all these really basic things. And finally, I think he felt sorry for me and, and uh, just kind of barely mentioned that Google was hiring chefs to come in and cook for them. And I should call this guy Charlie because Charlie, uh, you know, maybe he needs a drink. He, they don't have any drinks yet. And uh, if they can, they had a food initiative to help people, you know, eat uh, healthy, mm-hmm. but maybe, maybe that could extend to drinks. I think he was, I mean, Omid wasn't even thinking like that this was really helping us out. I think he, he really just was kind of like trying to connect the dots in some way. Yeah. So that, that one phone call ended up with Charlie bringing in 10 cases the next day calling me and saying, can you bring 30 more cases? And by the end of the week, they brought in 300 cases. And I was getting worried that I didn't have enough product in the garage, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Google became our number one distribution point, um, you know, really, really fast. And then people were leaving Google um, for the day and, uh, you know, there was this thing called hint hoarding for a while mm-hmm. where people would put it in their bags and they would, you know, a couple of people got fired over, you know, stealing <laughs> hint. Like we would hear these stories, like people would write to us and say, oh my God, you know, 
I no longer work at Google anymore. Where can I buy your product? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, or I'm starting a new company in South Park. Is there any way you can deliver? And the, all these stories along the way that I think, you know, for us were just, they were sort of surreal, right? We were just trying to, we were just trying to keep our head above water. But in the end, those were the, those were the, you know, decisions that we made that, ultimately helped us to get into lots more stores, get distribution because people wanted to help us and people wanted to, you know, be able to buy the product and expand it in, in many ways. And, and then, you know, we get bigger and so do the people who are our customers. They move on, they end up, I'll never forget when Sheryl Sandberg left Google and she went to Facebook, her assistant called and said, uh, there's this executive and she just moved over and she really loves Hint Fizz. And, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if you could distribute it to Facebook. We just put in a request and I'm like, of course we can. And, uh, <laughs> and so again, like so many crazy stories along the way that, that, uh, you know, we think back on as, as really key to sort of helping us to grow the company. So as we wrap up here today, um, tell us, you know, what you got planned for the future. What, what sort of uh, other change making activities do you have lined up for the next couple of years? You know, more than anything, just excited to help people get healthier. I think, you know, as I said, somewhere in this segment, I think that it's it's something that that uh you don't realize until it's too late for a lot of people mm. when you're not actually as healthy as you need to be. Um, I think a lot of people just give up, mm-hmm. right? And they just assume I'm overweight because that's just the way my body is, or, you know, that's how my hormones are. Or as doctors told me, I had too many kids so too close together. Of course, after mm. the fact, right? Like all of these things. And I think instead, looking at how you're treating your body, I mean, I think today it's more important than ever. If anything, I think if anything good came out of the last two years, it's that more and more people are realizing that what they actually put in their system and how they treat their body really matters. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you are checking into a hospital today with COVID or Omni or whatever the variant is of of the hour and you've got underlying conditions like type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes I mean sadly your your chances of getting out of there are 50% mm-hmm. right and and so trying to figure out how you can actually get your body in fighting order to be able to tackle hard things while they're frankly getting figured out is um, it doesn't matter your gender or socioeconomic background or anything what your what your title is any of these things if you can actually do something to make you make yourself equipped to be able to take on whatever I mean that that is that is, I think, the biggest lesson learned from the last couple of years for me. Well, I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to speak with you today. It's been a pleasure, and I, I really enjoyed reading your book. So again, I encourage people to go check out Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. It's a really um, enjoyable read. So thank you so much for being my guest here today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Kara Golden is the founder of Hint Incorporated, best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water. She has been named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, Fortune's Most Innovative Women in Food and Drink, and EY Entrepreneur of the Year for Northern California. The Huffington Post listed her as one of six disruptors in business alongside Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. Kara has successfully navigated the world of large companies and startups in many industries, including media, tech, and consumer products. In addition, she understands retail and direct-to-consumer well. She's an active speaker and writer and hosts the podcast, The Kara Golden Show, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across various industries. 
Kara's first book, Undaunted, was published by Harper Leadership in October 2020 and is now a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. She lives in the Bay Area. You can read more about Kara on our website, eiqmediallc.com slash the change. Our theme song and sound engineering was provided by Shane Sufridi. You can listen to more of Shane's music at www.shanesufridi.com. If you have a story to share about making a difference in the lives of people you lead, or if you want to tell us what you think about our podcast, send me an email at thechange at eiqmediallc.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on The Change. The Change is produced and distributed by EIQ Media LLC. Elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on leadership, mental health, entrepreneurship, and more.